Well, good morning. I'm excited to uh, dive into what we're going to be diving into for the next couple weeks, which, as Kurt mentioned, is a letter written to the Church of Colossae, which we call the Book of Colossians in the New Testament. Uh, we are going to be spending the rest of the month diving in deep to that text and focusing in deep on that text. Uh, but before we do, I just want to take a second and look back on last weekend. You may or may not have been able to be a part of last weekend. Last weekend was our one-year anniversary, which is an incredible experience. And it's so fun. I, I don't know if you've got to catch a, a picture of this or a glimpse of this, but last, uh, about a week and a couple days ago on Friday night, we had an owner's experience uh, where we just had all who were involved at Soul City Church, who had given to Soul City Church, who had volunteered at Soul City Church in any capacity, come out here and just celebrate God. We had like 180 people show up just that would call themselves owners and they're invested into uh, this uh, ministry, this church, what God's doing here. So that was an amazing, awesome celebration. Great food, great, great time. And then last weekend, this is what's so fun. So for our one-year anniversary, this little church that God has started here in the West Loop, we had 465 people show up to our little church last weekend, which is like kind of crazy and redonkulous when you think about uh, all that God has done over the course of the last year. And we celebrate that, but we know that the, those numbers matter in as much as they are people that matter to God. And for us, it was so fun to see the people that God brought out. Maybe last weekend was your uh, first weekend out here. It's going to be a real letdown if last weekend was your first weekend. I can only tell you that much. Like, it was an incredible celebration last weekend. But I loved last weekend as part of the 465 people that came out to our 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. gathering. Um, that uh, Principal Sadler from Brown Elementary was one of our guests last weekend. And we love our partnership with Brown, and we're grateful for her and for her team. So to have her be a part of our experience was so special. To have Arloa Sutter who's the head of Breakthrough Urban Ministries, one of our partners here in the city, to have her here as part of that celebration, to have a friend of mine that I've been inviting and inviting and inviting. They came out at Easter, and they kind of did the obligatory Easter, you know, check off the box thing, to come out last weekend and be a part of our celebration. This guy has not been to church since Easter and a long time before that. So to have him as a part of this celebration experience last weekend, I love what God is doing in and through this church. And if that wasn't enough, right, last weekend's incredible celebration, this weekend, uh, we had our first engagement in Soul City. David and Ashley got engaged this weekend, which is pretty exciting, so you can give it up for them, whether you know them or not. I love, I love that they decided to get engaged at Soul City Church. They took over our Soul City kids space. They put away like all the red balls and all that kind of stuff and made a beautiful, beautiful environment. And uh, so we've had a wedding and engagement here. I'm just saying, folks, if your next party may be hosted here at Soul City Church, I'm just saying, we, you should call us. Uh, so a lot of great stuff, fun stuff happening. We are excited to kick off this second year as uh, a church, and we are so excited to see all that God's going to do. And so that's why we are starting with this look at the book of Colossians, this letter that Paul wrote to this church uh, that it was a million miles away, essentially, from our culture and our context today. But we're going to try and as best we can dive into and understand what he was saying to them, what they were wrestling with and struggling with, and what it means to us and our growth and our transformation here today. So if you would, please, would you grab a Bible that's right in front of you? Maybe you brought your own. If not, we have blue Bibles right there in front of you. You can grab one of those, and uh, you can turn to page, just kind of keep your thumb in page 1088, which is Colossians chapter 1, page 1088. Uh, it's in the New Testament, so I want you to keep your thumb there. We're going to give a little context to what was going on uh, when Paul wrote this letter, who this church is. Now, you have to understand, uh, a good part of the New Testament uh, that, we would, that we look at and we read and we study and we built this church on were personal letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to young churches like ours. So this gospel movement that began, this church-growing, kingdom-expanding movement that began after the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, was literally was beginning to spread all over the known world. 
And so to sort of keep in touch and keep relationship with how fast this movement was growing, Paul uh, would write, and other authors as well, would write letters to these churches, and they have become now books within the Bible, these personal, intimate letters that have some very specific things that are going on to their culture and their context, but also have deep meaning and application to our lives here today. That's pretty amazing and powerful that what was going on 2,000 years ago, we still wrestle with and struggle with today and need God to speak into. And so let's just look for a second at this church in Colossae. Uh, Colossae was uh, a church that really honestly or it was a city that kind of got forgotten. Uh, they were in the midst of sort of Roman-occupied Greece. So they're in the middle of Greece and all their culture, and then a lot of Roman influence in that day. Um, it, it's, it's located, honestly, a pretty insignificant spot on the map. Uh, for the sake of our argument here, it's past Rockford. So, you know, it, did, like, it didn't have a huge uh, significance in that culture. And Rome had recently, at the time this letter was written, restructured their major roads and routes in, their trade routes. And so basically Colossae kind of got written off the map. And so there was this little city that had a little church that was beginning to grow. But you have to keep in mind, this church was built up of people who had converted to Christian faith, but they came from a Greek and Roman culture. So you have a Christian faith, which is largely based on a Jewish tradition, Jewish beliefs, and out of that became this new movement called Christianity based on the life and the teachings and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you already have that. Then you have this Greek and Roman mixed culture and polytheism and all kinds of different sort of religious cultural contexts that are going into this little church that's beginning. So they have this sort of this stew of all sorts of religious belief, and they're having trouble sorting out what is truth and what isn't. And so Paul, as best we know, has never been to this church from everything we can tell. He had not been to this church. In fact, he was probably in prison when he wrote this letter to them. He had a habit of going to jail. He would speak so boldly about Jesus that he would often find himself arrested for it. And so this letter, like many letters, was written from prison right around probably 62 AD, as best we can tell, to this little church that had been basically in a town that had been written off the map with all sorts of religious, sort of, you know, cultural, contextual, all sorts of different mosh pit kind of, of beliefs. And Paul is writing to them, pleading with them to cling to the truth that they actually came to know through Jesus. Now, you have to keep in mind, this is 62 AD, so we're only 30 or so years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it has not been that long. The church is not that old. The movement called the church is not that old. In fact, this church, as best we know, is probably about 15 years old at this point. Started from a, a small group of believers, now had grown into a church, much like this church here. And so Paul is writing to them, and he's, he's addressing in, throughout this letter, the book of Colossians, uh, their, their insistency on bringing in all these sort of cultural beliefs that weren't true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you can't. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to sort of add on top all the things that you like and take out the things that you don't. It just doesn't, it's, this is not like a buffet. It doesn't really work that way, right? And so he's addressing those things on top of the fact that this culture, in their culture, in the city, the town of Colossae, and in Greek and Roman culture, was obsessed with new secrets and new sort of mysteries about spirituality. And so this church specifically was obsessed with having to know the new secrets, the new like, what's the new thing? What's the new buzz? What's the new kind of thing? So they were obsessed with secrets and mysteries, things that maybe no one else had discovered, but they were going to discover, and that was what they were going to base their belief on. So they were obsessed with sort of the new thing, new mysteries, new secrets, and shortcuts, essentially, to their faith. So that's some context 
on this church in Colossae. And honestly, it's not all that different from us. We too are obsessed with secrets and new tricks and new tips and new shortcuts just like they were. I want you to think about the fact that many of us, many of us, if you've ever seen someone who you haven't seen maybe for six months or so, maybe it's been a year, maybe you've seen them at a high school reunion, and they've lost a ton of weight. They look great. Or more to the point, they look better than you. And you see this person, what's one of the first things you say to them? You say, oh, you look great. What's your secret? What did you do? What's the thing? How did you, how did you lose so much weight? How did you gain so much mass? How did, like, how did you, you look great. Like, what's your secret, right? We ask, we want to know. We, we, we know, we see this, like, if someone makes a ton of money, they've invested, they've made a ton of money. What's your secret? How did you do it? How did you do it? What's your secret? We're obsessed with those kind of things ourselves. We're obsessed with new things that are going to provide new shortcuts for our life. This is why people are now talking to their phones and expecting their phones to talk back to them. We are obsessed with new technologies. This is going to change my life. This is going to, this $600 I just spent on this phone is going to change my life. And so we too are obsessed with that. If we weren't obsessed with secrets and shortcuts and sort of get to the thing quick as best we can, there would be nothing on television from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. That's all that's on is, you know, you can sort of have this. Here's the secret. Here's the new thing that you don't know about. There would be no self-help section at Barnes & Noble. There would be, I mean, all the diets and fads, all of that is about there's a new secret. Someone discovered there's a new secret. And if you've ever talked with someone who maybe has lost a lot of weight, you know lots of times what the secret is? They'll say things like this. It's very complicated. Uh, I'm eating more appropriately. I'm drinking more water. I'm exercising. And I'm sleeping. That's usually what it comes down to, but we want a secret. Is there a powder? Is there a pill? Is there a thing that I can do that's going to give me? We are obsessed with that. We want to know what the shortcut is, what the trick is, what the tip is. This is so true of our culture that we want to figure out how to get the most for us while requiring the least of us. Isn't that true? So many times that's what's behind our questions when someone comes to their weight loss or when it comes to new technology or when it comes to their sort of financial gain. We want to know how we can get the most for us that requires the least of us. That's that's what's behind our obsession with secrets and tricks and tips and shortcuts. And what's amazing is we bring that to church too. So many of us, myself included, I want to know what's the thing, what's the secret, what's the thing that's going to help me sort of get the most from God but require the least of me? What prayer do I have to pray? Can you give me one prayer that if I pray it a hundred times, it's like a genie in a bottle thing, all of a sudden God's going to magically make all these things happen for me but require very little of me? I think our culture is no different from the church at Colossae. We try to get the most for us that requires the least of us. And in their pursuit to do that, they had a real dilemma to their deluded theology, and that was namely Jesus. Because Jesus could not be boiled down to a secret or a trick or a tip. Jesus stood there at the intersection of life and faith and said, here's the deal. I have come to offer you life to the fullest, both here on earth and beyond. And all that I ask of you is everything. There's no shortcut. There's no trick. There's no tip. I am here to give you my life. All that I'm asking for is your life. And so Jesus stood as a great dilemma to their deluded belief, their obsession with secrets and shortcuts. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. There's no way around me. 
And this is the context that Paul writes this letter to the Colossians. And I believe it is in many ways the same as our context today. We want to try and get as much from God as possible that requires the least of us. And Jesus stands in the middle, in our way, and says, no, 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 no. You can have all of me. All I ask is all of you. And so, understanding that reality, let's dive into what Paul said to that church and to our church here today. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 15. Keep in mind, these shortcuts, these secrets, these tips, the way that they try to write Jesus out of their religion. Paul says these words, speaking about Jesus in Colossians 1.15. He says, the Son, which is Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So this God that used to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, that they knew and had a relationship with, but that sin broke that relationship with, well, here's the deal. Jesus has come, and he is the image now of that God. That God that has seemed distant for so many years, thousands of years, is now fully present in Jesus. And everything you need to know about God, you can learn from Jesus. You can see in Jesus. Again, this is only 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So Paul is making a very powerful point here. Many people believe, many religious scholars and biblical scholars believe that what Paul is reciting, what we're going to study here this morning, was actually a poem or a hymn that the early church would sing and recite to each other to remind each other of the truth of who Jesus is. And it has a very poetic nature, as we're going to see here. Paul is saying, look, here's what you need to know. Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. When you look to him, you see God. But now he's gone. He's ascended into heaven. Here's what you need to know about him. He is before all things. In other words, he is more important than anything. He came before everything. And through him, all things were created. So what Paul is saying is, and we study this here at Soul City Church, that Jesus is a member of the Trinity. Jesus and God are equal in their relationship to the creation of this world. That through Jesus, all things were created. All things were created in heaven and on earth. And Paul goes on to list Categories that pretty much cover everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. So Paul's basically saying, like, this is D, all of the above. Like, Jesus is above all things, whatever it is that you can think of. All things have been created through him, and all things have been created for him. This is very important what Paul's saying here. Through him, for him, by him. Paul goes on to say, Colossians 1, 17, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is essentially the central Jenga piece to this universe, right? He is the one that all things are actually held together by, and he is the head of the body, the church. That's us. That's us. That's the Colossians who Paul was writing to. He is the head of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, meaning he is the one who has been resurrected by God from the dead. And in him, all who died can now have life. Do you see what Paul's saying there? He's the firstborn among the dead. So now in him, everything, he might have the supremacy. And if you want to understand the entire book of Colossians, and here's what I'd love for you to do. 
underline this, even if the Bible's not yours, because other people are going to come along and maybe they'll appreciate your notes, okay? So you need to underline this. If it is your Bible, double underline it, okay? This is the, essentially the whole book of Colossians. The point that Paul is making is that phrase. In everything, he might have the supremacy. Paul is making a very strong and very clear point to that church and to ours that Jesus is it. He is above. He is before. By him, all things are created. For him, all things are created. Through him, all things are created. In fact, the entire universe is being held together by him. He is supreme. There is no shortcut to get you around Jesus. Paul goes on to say in verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, that he is reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul adds one more concept. Not only is Jesus before, above, not only are all things created by him, through him, for him, not only are all things being held together by him, but Paul goes on to say all things are being reconciled. That means brought together. That means everything that was broken and dead and gone is now being restored and renewed and brought together by Jesus. Do you understand the image that Paul is painting here? He is going on a rant. He is basically saying you have to understand the supremacy of Christ. You have to understand there is no mystery beyond him. All things, all things, not only held together in this world, but brought together by the shedding of his blood on a cross. That's what this church is built on, that things can be transformed and renewed, made new and made whole by Jesus. That's why we work so hard to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus, because he's the only one who can hold it all together, who can bring it all together and make it new. Paul is being very, very clear. He's not mincing any words. Before, over, above, by, through, reconciled. He's making a very, 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 very big point. And then Paul gets to what is the beauty and the power of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And this is found in verse 26. Jump down there. You might want to star this, underline it, highlight it, fold the page, put a gold star next to it, do whatever you have to do. Because Paul addresses their obsession with shortcuts and our obsession with shortcuts. And he says this, the mystery, he's playing on what they love, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. And you can see the Colossians seeing it up. Here comes the mystery. Here comes the shortcut. Here comes the bottom. Here comes the thing we've been waiting for. He says, but it's now being disclosed, being revealed to the Lord's people, to them that God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And here it is. Paul says it. Is Christ in you? Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. If Paul had a microphone, he would have dropped it and walked off stage at that point, <laughs> right? I can see him in his prison cell with the pingo. What? Like, you can kind of see that, right? Because he says, look, not only before, above, by, through, in, restored, reconciled. He says, all those things are true of Jesus. Now, here is what is true of you. He's in you. All the hope of God which dwelt fully in Jesus is in you. That's the secret. That's the mystery. That is the missing piece. And that is what 
not only this church then, but I believe our church and many Christians today find so hard to believe that all the fullness of God which dwelt richly in Jesus is now in you. In you. Not out there. Not some abstract concept or mystery to be figured out or secret to stumble upon. Not some theory about God. Not some detached theology. He's in you. He is in you. And this truth, this truth that Paul is begging and pleading, starting off this letter to the Colossians, and we kick off this series for this month. This truth is not just something that changes our perception of God, but it is meant to change your perception of you. It is not meant to just change our perception of God. As as Paul paints so clearly in Colossians 1, the fullness and the supremacy and the grandness and the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ, all of God, the image of the invisible God found in Jesus, all of that, Paul says, is in you. That should not only change your view of God, that he would love you so much that he would enter into your story and into your life. It should change your perception of you. That the God of the universe would take up residency in the shanty town of your life. That's amazing. That's amazing. That the God of the universe would take up residency in me. Broken, fallen, falter, me. That's the mystery. That's the hope of glory that Paul is making so clear. God is not just out there. He is out there, greater and more glorious and beautiful and powerful than we could ever imagine. But he's also in here. And that should change the way that you see yourself, your life, your choices, your prayers. Because I think if, if you're like me, I tend to pray more like a Colossian than a Christian. I tend to pray about a God who's you know, sort of out there, and I'm just sort of hoping he hears me, right? I'm just kind of hoping that maybe this one sort of makes its way through the pipes and tunnels and gets its way to God, and that not only that he hears me, but that he'll actually do something. And so if you're anything like me, at times I find myself praying to a God that's out there, and we even talk about God being up there, wherever that is, and we talk about a God who's removed at a distance from the details of our lives, and so we pray that way to a God who's out there. And many times, if you were to think about it, you ask that God to do things for you. And I want you to think about the last couple of things you prayed about. You can kind of like in the back of your mind try and think about the last couple of things you prayed about. Who were they to? Who were those prayers to? Where was that God? And what were they for? Because many times what we do is we pray for God to do things for us, like a Colossian would. To a God who's out there to come and do this thing for me. God, I'm really stuck in this relationship right now. Would you come and fix this for me, basically, is what we pray. God, I'm really struggling with this addiction in my life. I keep hitting the wall. God, will you remove this from me? God, it is so hard to be out of work. God, will you provide this job for me? God, it is so hard to be so alone in the city and to be surrounded by 2.9 million people, and yet I feel so alone. And God, I just want a partner. Will you bring him 
to me or her to me or these friends for me. And so often what we do is we pray like Colossians to a God who's out there to come and do things for us. When all the while God is fully capable of doing things for you, do you know what he wants to do? He wants to do things in you and through you, not just for you. God is a perfect father. He will provide every one of your needs. He will and is capable to do things for you. Do you know what he also longs to do? He longs to do things in you and through you. Through you. That requires a different kind of faith. It's one thing to pray to a God out there who you hope will come and do this thing for you. It's another thing to pray to a God who's already here and to ask a bigger prayer, God, will you do this through me? Will you use me? Will you grow this in me so that it comes out of me? God is fully capable to do things for you, but he desires and delights when he gets to do things in you and through you. And that's what we love about the story of this church and what we've celebrated for this last year is we've seen God do things for us that we could never, ever do on our own, but we have at the same time seen God do things in us that we are not capable of on our own. And we've seen God do things through us that have changed our faith and the way that we pray. And we long to be a church that moves forward in this neighborhood and in this city, asking God to do things in us and through us. Because that not only changes our perception of God, it changes our perception of ourselves and the life that God has come to give and desires for us to live. What would it look like for you to stop praying and living like a Colossian and actually live like a Christian who believes that all the power and fullness of God which dwelt in Christ Jesus is in you? Do you know why I think the world, when you talk about the world or our culture or whatever you want to call it, doesn't take the church seriously? Do you know why I think one of the number one reasons that the world doesn't really take the church seriously is because we don't take this truth seriously. We keep waiting for God to do things for us instead of asking God to do things in us and through us. And when we begin to live like we actually believe that Christ Jesus is in us, working in us and working through us, it begins to change the way that you pray about things. It changes the way that you ask for things and ask God to be involved in your life. Things get a whole lot bigger and riskier and more powerful when you pray like you actually believe God is already in you. When we live like we actually believe that he is already in us, then we have something to offer this world. We have a light and a hope and a truth and a belief that is not some abstract concept or sort of get-to-God-quick scheme. It is our lives. It is God in us and through us that we have to offer and to point to. You think about, I don't know you think about, you don't have to raise your hands, but are, are any of you like, are there any broken relationships in your world right now? Or maybe relationships that are strained right now. Now, I know it's probably not you. You wouldn't have that happen in your life. You're too good of a person to let the relationship get to that place. But maybe you know someone 
who has a broken or strained relationship. And it bothers you because you care about this person or you care about the situation or you care about yourself and you feel like someone's misunderstood you or hurt you in the process. How do you, if you do, how do you pray for that? Now, some of you may pray, God, I pray that you would wipe that person off the face of the earth. (laughs) God, deliver them into your presence tomorrow. That may be your prayer. That may be your prayer. But my hunch is if you're like me, you pray, God, will you help bring peace to the situation? God, will you help to restore the situation? God, will you help to restore this relationship? Lots of times, maybe you pray, God, will you help this person to see what they don't see and I so clearly see, right? <laughs> help them become enlightened like I am, Lord. Now, seriously, when you pray for a strained or broken relationship in your life, a friendship or maybe a family member, or maybe it's a dating relationship, someone you broke up with recently, if you pray, my hunch is you pray for God to do something for that, don't you? So what would it look like for you this week, even today, starting today, to begin to pray, God, Will you work in me and through me to forgive this person, to have patience with this person, to reach out and begin a restoration process with this person? If it's true that Christ is the one who reconciles all things to himself and that same Christ is in me, then I must be capable of, in him, the ability to actually reconcile or restore this relationship. Or at the very least, like Christ Jesus, to forgive this person and attempt to live at peace and not speak poorly about them, stir up gossip about them, build a little camp against them. If it's true that Christ is in you, then how you pray and act about that relationship is different, isn't it? It's not just, God, will you come down and fix this thing for me? It's, God, will you do in me what only you can do and work through me to actually be an active participant in the restoration of this relationship? When you think about, for those of us who have addictions, and you may not call it that, that's too ugly of a word, but you have um, a dependency on whether it's alcohol, whether it's smoking, whether it's work, whether it's whatever it is, pornography, it's whether it's uh, a codependency and you are so dependent on this one relationship that you have with a person, whatever it is, you may not call it that, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. And lots of times you see the harmful effect of this, right? You see what it's done to your life. You see what it's done to some of your relationships. You see how the decay is already starting to set in. And so in those moments, you pray, God, will you remove this from me? God, will you help me get over this? Will you kind of get me out of this? Will you get this away from me? What would it look like if you actually believe that Christ is in you for you to begin to pray, okay, God, what do you want to grow inside of me? What level of self-control, what level of trust in you, not this thing to alleviate me from and escape from my pain or reality? What are you trying to grow in me, God, when it comes to self-control, discipline, strength, courage? God, what do you actually want to do through me? I keep praying for you to help me stop smoking. What if I threw cigarettes away? Like, I, I don't know, maybe you're waiting for God to magically like catch them all on fire in front of you or like, whatever it is or, or to just have every bar in Chicago stop serving alcohol or whatever it is. Like, maybe that'll happen or maybe God actually wants to do something through you and grow you greater through the process. Grow you greater through the process of working in you and through you 
Think about places that you need God to provide in your life. And you see, you know, you see the bills coming in. You see kind of the way that the income is not matching outcome. And you see the debt continue to rise. And you just pray, oh God, will you somehow magically just, maybe I find a bag of money, God, in the house. Or, and you don't say those words, but you know you're kind of quietly hoping that that'll happen. Right? God, will you just somehow, God, maybe it's this Aunt Gertrude that I don't know about who's so loaded and dies and gives it all to me. Whatever the scenario is that you pray for God to do on your behalf, what if God is saying, yes, I can do all that for you, but I love you more than that. I love you so much that I actually want to grow something in you and through you that you will learn to manage your resources better, that you will feel the pain of sacrifice the sting of self-discipline, the weight of having to work your way out of the hole that you've dug. What if God is saying, no, I actually love you so much that I'm going to grow something in you, a greater perspective on your resources, and I'm going to do something through you. You are going to live lean for the next few years, and I'm going to provide in you something far greater than more money in your bank account. I'm going to change the way you live and interact with your finances. Do you see the difference? We can keep praying like Colossians for God to do things for us, or we can say, okay, God, wait a second. I want to actually pray and live like someone who follows Jesus, the same Jesus who is in me, and it's actually wanting to do more in me and through me than I could ever possibly imagine. And the faith that grows from that is not just a faith in God, but a faith in God in me. In me. And so as the band comes up right now, I want us to think about that. We're going to worship and sing songs that we believe to be true about God. But I want you to think about what if, it, what if we actually began to live like we believed that all the fullness of God which dwelt fully in Christ Jesus is actually in you. And for those of you who would not call yourselves Christians and you're kind of checking out the faith thing, this is one of the most important messages that you can hear. This is one of the most important things that you can hear because this is not about Christianity. It's not about sort of adding on and tagging on more religious habits. It's not about putting things on externally to look or act or sound more religious. That in and of itself is a death. That is a dead end. That pursuit. The essence and the core of Christianity in a relationship with Jesus is that he is in you and when he is in you, then all things are possible. And he's going to do things through you that you never thought or hoped or believed or imagined before. That's the essence of the Christian message. It is not about acting or sounding more and more religious. It is living like you actually believe that Jesus is in you and loves you so much that he wants to grow you far greater than just doing things for you, that he is ready to do things through you, things you never imagined, never thought possible outside of him. When we actually begin to live like we believe this, then we become a light to a world that is addicted to blindness and darkness. Then we become a hope for people who have lost hope, who have lost the courage to live as God created them to live. When we begin to actually live like we believe, that Christ is in us. God is going to do amazing, amazing, amazing things through this church. 
And so I want to lead us through a time of praying. And after that, we're going to receive our offering. It's something we do here all the time at Soul City Church. This is not the only way that people give to our church, but it's one of the ways. It's just a way that we say, okay, God, you actually are going to build this church through me, through my resources, not magic money that falls from the sky. It's like us. We are the ones who give to the work that God is doing here. So we're going to give in a moment as an act of worship and obedience to God and sacrifice to God. But before we do that, I want to pray for you. And as we do, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to put your hands on your chest as best you can or your tummy, whatever may come first. Um, I want you to reach in and put your hands there as we pray. We're going to take a posture where we pray, where we say, okay, wait a second. Could it be, could it be true, Jesus, that you are already in here? And so if you would close your eyes and put away any sort of distraction that might keep you from focusing on this powerful truth, and you sit for a moment your hands on your chest or your stomach, and you imagine, what if it's possible? What if it's true? That when I entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ, he entered into me and is longing and desiring to do things through me, not just for me, not just what requires the least of me, through me. This same Jesus who is before and above And by him, all things are held together. And by him, all things are being reconciled. This same Jesus is in me. Jesus, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that your apostle, your servant, Paul, laid it out so clearly and so beautifully for that church in Colossae and for our church here in Chicago to see and to know and to believe that you are already here, not an abstract concept, not a shortcut to having a more fulfilling life. You are already here in us, in this church, in this space, and you long to do things through our lives that grow our faith in you and actually grow our faith in what is possible through our lives. So we pray that that would be true, true of this church, true of this week, true of our lives. We pray this through and by and for the power of Jesus Christ. Amen.